Essentially, Greg, for me, blockchain has the potential to change the economics of how we manufacture different securities as we know them, whether it's a deposit or it is some other structured product and, and DeFi is one experimentation whether it works or not, we will see. But that is what it is allowing us to do. And I see a lot of potential there. When Effie Pilarinu got her doctorate in finance, her thesis was titled, A Chaotic Approach to Stock Market Returns. Well, the markets certainly experienced more than their fair share of chaos last year. And not only traditional markets like equities and commodities, but especially in cryptocurrencies. I spoke with Effie about whether Bitcoin has reached a tipping point with institutional investors, if this tipping point could become the catalyst for widespread adoption of digital assets, why advisors should treat trip cryptocurrency like emerging markets in their portfolios, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. It's another fantastic day in the wonderful world of Wealth Tech. Welcome to episode 83 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I run a consulting firm called Ezra Group. We're experts in wealth management technology, operations, and strategy. We deliver growth-oriented solutions to broker-dealers, banks, asset managers, RIA aggregators, and especially to their fintech providers through our premium advice and targeted market analysis. On this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in the wealth management industry who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. When you have a moment, please head over to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and sign up for our newsletter. You will be rewarded with regular updates and excellent thought leadership content. I'm happy to introduce my guest for this episode is Effie Pilarinu. Effie is a global fintech influencer, a PhD in finance, an old timer, a prolific writer, a traveler, and a true Sagittarius. Effie, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, uh, Craig. And uh, I really do look forward to meeting you in person, hopefully in 2021. But uh, thank you for bringing me closer to uh, a country that I have lived in, worked in, and, and uh, I have still a lot of friends and great memories. I'm happy to be able to do that. Yeah, yes, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to meeting you in person sometime, uh, either here, either in the US or over in Europe. Uh, and uh, when, when we're traveling again, and we're doing all those other normal things again. And, uh, yeah, we, we did some virtual hugs before we started. But that's... Uh, the closest we're going to get with me here in New Jersey and you calling from Switzerland, yes? Yes, exactly. Exactly. But at least we can share virtual backgrounds. Yeah. No, mine is a real background. Yours is virtual. Mine is a real background. I, I can't afford a virtual background. <laughs> so let's, um, let's jump right in. Can you, can you give us a 30-second elevator pitch uh, about yourself? Oh, wow. That's, that's a tough one. I wasn't prepared uh, for, for that one. But um, let me tell you, I'm a Wall Street uh, old timer and I've become a, 
uh, a new age uh, fintech, or maybe I'm a millennial, if you mm-hmm. like. Um, I've been focused in, in fintech for the last six, seven years. I very much enjoy um, being in the midst of this uh, transformation. And um, I'm based, as you already mentioned, in, in Switzerland, which maybe is not a top fintech hub. It is definitely uh, the top uh, wealth management uh, place in the world. And it's definitely a top uh, crypto blockchain uh, hub. Yeah, there's, uh, there's quite a lot going on there, in fact. And I mean, it doesn't really matter where you are anymore, especially now when everything's been moving, been forced to be digital uh, and forced to be virtual. So you can be anywhere. Why not be in Switzerland? What, what's the difference? Or you're, whether you're in London or Switzerland or, or Nairobi or in lovely uh, New Jersey where I am, it, it shouldn't really matter. Uh, we're all connected. 100%. You're so right. But I'm talking from uh, the previous sort of uh, life, right? Of course. Yeah, the previous life, which hopefully we will we'll get back to. But one of the things I want to talk to you about, um, and there's so many things to talk about. We, we, before we had this conversation, we were going through so- topics that you are interested in. There's so many. You're, you're so multifaceted, multi-talented that, that I could talk to you about a, a dozen different topics. But the one we settled on was blockchain's impact on wealth and asset management. Uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency. So let's just talk about that. Uh, you guys put out, a, you put out a report um, in combination with the, um, uh, with another company. The Wealth Mosaic. Wealth Mosaic, thank you. I, I keep getting their, their name uh, mixed up. Wealth, let me get it right. The Wealth Mosaic. Uh, you have a report called Wealth Tech Views Report. Can you talk a little bit about, um, about that report and what people can expect when they, uh, if they downloaded it? Well, the, the aim of the report was to start uh, showcasing uh, what is going on in the market um, that is um, uh, going to reshape uh, the, the asset and wealth management space uh, from the blockchain industry, if you want, which includes, of course, uh, cryptocurrencies. And, and my aim there was to start... <laughs> You know, to get people off the, the brokerage uh, screens, watching cryptocurrency prices, uh, doing whatever they are doing and understanding really uh, what is going on, why uh, this uh, technology is uh, both an infrastructure that will change um, capital markets, asset management, and also uh, has already created an asset class. And for those that haven't noticed, we are up to $1 trillion, roughly, give or, or take. So, you know, for, for asset managers and, and financial advisors that want to ignore this asset class, you know, I don't think that it is a good um, decision to, to ignore it. Um, I'd like to highlight the projections that are um, claiming that this asset class uh, may grow three to four times. And where I get these projections, Craig, is um, from, I think um, that there's two sources I'd like to refer to. 
there's um, some uh, great research pieces out of, for example, ARK Invest. Um, but also, uh, I'd like to highlight that when I look at the investor pitch decks of, for example, BACT, you know, BACT, uh, the, the- Is it a wallet? Uh, uh, yeah, the digital wallet that's um, backed by, by ICE and um, has just announced uh, that they will go public through a SPAC. Mm. Um, and of course, because of the SPAC uh, uh, structure, they can put out all the, you know, the marketing material and so on. And it's, it's already out there. And these are the projections. And it would be also interesting to see how the Coinbase IPO uh, prices on what kind of projections they will price in, in the market. So we understand what is the market telling us. Yeah, those, those, those are all very interesting. And, and uh, you know, Coinbase, I think, is the biggest one considering their, their dominance in, in the crypto space. And, and that, that should be, uh, I imagine the, the, um, the excitement will be off the charts when their IPO comes and because uh, people are just are just seem to be so interested, especially with the increase in in value, as you mentioned, the total crypto space is now over a trillion. Most of it is is dominated by Bitcoin. But you, know, you mentioned that advi that advisors shouldn't ignore uh, crypto anymore because of the market share. And, and some reasons I've heard of that one is that that firms were institutional firms were waiting for this because they were worried that the market was so thin they couldn't put big orders in. Now, once you hit a trillion in in, in order flow or, or, or market share that they have a more confidence in putting in big orders. Is that, is that the main reason why you think, or are there other reasons that hitting a trillion is important? You know, um, first of all, I think that the, the market has matured and it's not anymore just the Bitcoin dominance. By the way, Bitcoin dominance is around 68%. Right now, it's fluctuated. I mean, it used to be, uh, you know, close to 100% uh, four years ago, but now it's been fluctuating. And, and we consider a 68% uh, dominance level pretty healthy and, and normal. But what's happened, Greg, is as the market gets more educated, it, we are understanding that uh, different cryptocurrencies are really different in their nature. So Bitcoin, for example, right now is being viewed uh, as a scarcity play. You, we've all heard it as the digital uh, gold. But of course, we know that it's not the only potential narrative that it could impersonate. It could take on part of the global settlements network and, you know, take a, a percentage of the remittance market, it could become um, uh, a, an asset that has value because of its self-sovereignty and trust, because, you know, it, it protects against seizure and, mm. uh, and, and let government, you know, let's not forget how many countries in our world today are living under dictatorships and there, there's value or hyperinflationary um, mm. regimes. So, so uh, a network like Bitcoin that is already over 10 years old, 
very much trusted, has these potential you know, values and, and narratives. It just happens right now that the dominant one is the digital gold. And of course it's related to the monetary situation right now and to the fact that a few um, uh, noteworthy companies have decided to allocate in their treasury uh, Bitcoin. So that's another narrative that is playing right now in the in the market and may grow and we expect it to grow in 2021. So um, right now we have uh, the latest that I was looking at um, were 29 companies, public companies that have allocations to Bitcoin in their treasury. Most of them are in the Bitcoin business, like, you know, mining, publicly traded companies or Galaxy, you know, asset management companies, but others like Square or MicroStrategy or another one in London, in the UK, and Mode are not related. And, and I expect to see more of this. But what I want to add to this is that there are other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum or um, um, other uh, uh, non-fungible tokens that are completely different. It's not a scarcity play. So, you know, this is becoming a rich asset class, a bit like emerging markets, I would say. I, I like to think of it of, you know, if you are as an asset manager, as a financial advisor, you want to allocate to innovation because that is the diversifier. That is what will provide resilience to your portfolio. So within the theme of innovation, you definitely have to have an allocation to this industry. And within that allocation, you can go into cryptocurrencies. There's a rich variety there. Now we have also decentralized finance. So already we have more than one, two, three, four um, different thematics there. And then we have the rest of the infrastructure plays that I'd really like to talk about and, and that we address um, in, in our report. So Effie, you, you, you said a lot there. There was, let me, let me break down some of the things. I'm trying to take notes. So yeah, the 68% um, of, of the total market cap of being Bitcoin, yes, it's down from 100 or, or close to 100. So that's a sign, as you said, of, of a healthy market that it's, it's diversifying a bit. Oh, I think Ethereum is probably the, the, a large percentage of that 32%, but still better than it all being concentrated in one. Yes, there's, there's more um, uses for Bitcoin than, than just digital gold. It remains to be seen if cross-border payments can pick up, if, if the Lightning Network can reduce costs enough that cross-border payments and settlements would be useful, or whether if, the, if Bitcoin itself would be useful for those, or if just a new blockchain would be better. But one thing you mentioned, the, the public companies. So that goes to what we were talking about earlier about institutional adoption. And, and uh, one, of the, one of the topics I wanted to ask you about was 2020 being the year of institutional adoption of Bitcoin and, and crypto. And what were the signals? And you mentioned one, which was uh, public companies allocating Bitcoin or uh, 
are using part of their treasury, their corporate treasury, and allocating it to Bitcoin. As you said, PayPal and Square, but I think one of the biggest ones, at least that I've heard, was MicroStrategy and Michael Saylor, their CEO, putting in $450 million of their of their um, cash into Bitcoin, which turns out to be uh, quite opportune since they, I think they've tripled in value since they bought. Was it, didn't they buy around 11.50? And now it's at 35. So that's, that's quite a, yeah. a, it's quite a return on which, what was supposed to be a very safe and, and, and stable investment. So he looks like a genius and now he's raising more. So can you talk a bit more about that signal and, and what it means for the future of Bitcoin and crypto? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, you mentioned PayPal. PayPal was the other signal, but they, they took another uh, route. They are getting into offering services you know, you, I think in the U.S. only for now, you can buy and sell um, uh, um, a couple, three or four cryptocurrencies. They didn't go into the treasury uh, bucket of, of acceptance uh, yet, or at least publicly, because, you know, these are what we know publicly. Maybe there are other companies out there that have put in small allocations, but for other reasons, they don't, you know, choose to communicate it uh, uh, publicly. So what I see, Craig, is um, companies like uh, Square, Back, and PayPal, even if they didn't put uh, uh, money in, in their treasuries, in, in Bitcoin specifically, what they are doing really is they are making sure that there is a large scale adoption of wallets in the world. Uh, and, and this is important because the, these wallets, the, the, the actual digital wallets that can hold assets, that is something that is very different than the Google wallet or other type of payment wallets that we, we are used to. So we are preparing the world to, to transition into a world where we have wallets that can hold assets. And that to me means that we're going towards a world where everything will be tokenized and we'll be able to hold it in our wallets. Whether we store our wallets in our handbags, we ladies, or choose to have them in, you know, safes guarded by the new custodians, that's another issue. But we are going into wallets and that means exchanging value in a much more secure, transparent, cheaper and more efficient way and having you know, disintermediation at a very different level. So um, that is what I see as really happening through these large scale uh, adoptions. Hey, I want to take a break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite charities, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit that supports and empowers financial advisors who give back to their communities with overwhelming generosity. Now in its 15th year, Invest in Others has raised and distributed millions of dollars to worthy charities that are run by or assisted by financial advisors both in the U.S. and abroad. The Invest in Others Foundation is kicking off 2021 with a restock of the shelves campaign. This past year, demand for food from nonprofits was at an all-time high. Last year, more than 50 million people experienced food insecurity. 
Now that the holiday season has ended, supplies at many food banks and shelters have dropped, but demand has not. To help restock the shelves, Invest and others will award grants of up to $20,000 to nonprofits who are fighting hunger in their communities. If you work in the financial services industry and also volunteer for a 501c3 nonprofit that's in need of food items, apply for a grant from the Invest in Others Foundation on its behalf. They want to help you restock the shelves in your community this January. Applications will be accepted now through Friday, February 5th at investinothers.org forward slash grants. So if you want to put your uh, 501c3 nonprofit's name in for a grant of up to $20,000, please go to investinothers.org forward slash grants. That's a great insight. Yeah, that, that should really prepare people for a wide, more widespread adoption of tokenized assets and, and digitization, even more so than we've had before. But let me go back to something you said, and thank you for pointing that out, that yes, PayPal didn't buy crypto in their treasury, uh, but they're offering services to buy and sell crypto, which is very lucrative, as we've seen Square and PayPal are making tremendous amounts of selling crypto to their customers, mostly through the spread. Uh, so what do you think of that? Yeah. Do, you, do you see that as something that a lot of other firms will start to do? And, and what, what will be the impact of more retail investors being able to buy crypto easier through different apps, whether it's Square or PayPal or any other, any other app that they happen to work with? Well, Craig, I mean, let's not forget that a lot of the robo-advisors or, or the wealth techs, um, you know, the social trading platforms like eToro, uh, Robinhood, um, all, all those had already used, even Revolut, uh, they, they added to their services crypto. It was a very efficient uh, way uh, to lower the customer acquisition cost. And, and if you look at when they launched these services, their uh, users really shot up because of that retail interest. So um, it, you know, it, it, there's been others before that have, have done that. And um, we will continue to see that. And I think this is a market where it's not like, you know, one winner takes all, mm -hmm. it will become, you know, um, basically mainstream and we will see it uh, everywhere. Of course, for now, we have to distinguish whether, you know, when I'm buying crypto on, uh, you know, Revolut or eToro and so on, am I really holding those assets? Who owns them? And, and those kinds of questions that are traditional questions, you know, in the brokerage and asset management uh, uh, business, but they're more important in this, um, in this asset class. Indeed. Yeah, you, that's an excellent point. And, and, you know, in the, in the wealth and asset management world, we long ago moved from the, the point where I'm, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when we bought a stock, we would get the stock certificate mailed to us if we wanted to hold it ourselves. Now, that would be absurd to do nowadays. No one holds their own stock certificates. Even if you give it as a gift, I used to buy stock one share and frame it and give it as gifts to people. No one does that anymore. No one has a physical stock certificate anymore. So, and, and again, as an early crypto enthusiast, I'm, I'm, all, I'm a very strong proponent of holding your own keys, but isn't that like holding your own stock certificates and people are, are, gonna, are already used to 
not holding their own private keys and allowing PayPal or eToro or any of these apps to hold the keys for them? You know, you're right. Uh, you know, we're going back to bearer instruments, right? We, which, uh, as you said, um, but this is this is in in digital life, and then we will have the the choice whether we want to be the ones holding um, um, uh, the private keys or not. There's also technologies and and um, uh, wallets and custody providers that um, are evolving this um, technology. So we are even, you know, going away from, from private keys and still being able to, to hold our assets. But the main point is that transacting uh, won't need so many intermediaries. And also it will be across um, assets it will be across uh, borders. It will just be completely uh, uh, different. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I want to go back because we, we spoke about, um, you know, uh, Bitcoin and, you know, 2020 being a year of uh, institutional adoption because of uh, Treasury, because of PayPal and others moving into offering these services. But I also want to add and not forget uh, the regulatory buy-in that happened uh, in uh, 2020. We have uh, at least four um, licensed crypto banks that you know, were given their licenses. We have two in Switzerland, Seba Bank, and Signum uh, that are regulated by FINMA. And then we have two in America. We have Avanti in, in Wisconsin, Avanti Bank. And then we have Kraken who got their um, uh, license also to set up a bank. So this is a very important uh, buy-in uh, from, from the regulatory perspective, plus, the latest announcement by the Office of the uh, Controller of Currency about the banks being able to run uh, nodes, and this is more related to, to stable coins and, and the potential of that market. Exactly, and, and those are our big, our big issues. So how do you see that shaking out in terms of the wealth management space? So now that the OCC is allowing banks to run stablecoin nodes, and now that there are a couple of crypto banks, that should enable a wealth, even a more uh, tighter integration of wealth and banking and lending and, 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 and putting crypto in there that you can get everything at, at the same place much easier since it'll be much, it'll be much more fluid with, this, with these technologies. Do you see that or do you see uh, other, other things shaking I up? I see you know, you know, I see that, but we all know from the experience even of um, uh, the digital transformation at the B2B level of the existing banking system, we've seen how difficult it is to replace existing um, infrastructures and, and architectures. So, you know, to, to think of what kind of infrastructure is needed 
to to uh, participate in this um, in these new networks that are public chains, open source, and so on. It's going to take time, but we're definitely going in the right directions. We are going to be seeing uh, pilots, and the market forces will um, push uh, banks to start uh, participating in these networks. What I do see, and, and this is also um, well-documented in, in the report that we produced, is we are seeing the use of uh, blockchain infrastructure, rather, I should be more precise, the digital distributed ledger technology being used, for example, in fund administration, which is a very complex and, and cumbersome uh, uh, procedure in the life cycle of, of uh, securities, uh, especially in, in mutual funds. But this is what is happening, and it is happening in Europe. Uh, one company is uh, Funds DLT out of uh, uh, Luxembourg, mm. uh, and um, they are, are you know, deploying uh, distributed ledger technology for for this uh, purpose. Uh, so that is uh, one way of thinking of it. Another um, initiative and company that I'd like to bring up as an example, also featured in, in our report, is a company that is not using cryptocurrencies, but blockchain infrastructure to offer um, savings accounts with high interest rates. So 3% on US dollars, 1.5% on euros. And this is done because of the transparency and the efficiencies and, and the validations that are possible at a much lower cost on, on the blockchain. Well, is that really so, the full reason for why that? I mean, these high interest savings accounts we're seeing, and this reminds me of how some of the robo-advisors like Wealthfront and, and Betterment were, all, were off all the rage offering high interest accounts until that all got shut down to try to attract uh, clients. And isn't this really the same thing that they're looking to attract clients, but these, it's not the efficiency that's allowing them to pay 3%. It's that they're, they're lending out those stable coins or that Bitcoin to other investors who are paying margin to then invest it or, or leverage. Isn't that really where that, that, that interest rate's coming from? Uh, well, you're talking about uh, the crypto lending, like, you know, companies mm -hmm. like BlockFi, BlockFi mm -hmm. in, in the US and others, that yes, uh, that is where it's coming from, but that is lending cryptocurrencies. What I'm talking about, uh, and this is an example uh, of a company um, here in Switzerland called Crescofin, it's got nothing to do with cryptos. It's mm -hmm. all about... Um, taking the, the blockchain infrastructure and uh, recording on the ledger invoices, ensuring the invoices and being able to pay a, a very high interest rate back, uh, back from, it's like an asset backed security and the efficiencies allow for that interest rate. So it's got nothing to do with cryptocurrencies. Essentially, Greg, for me, blockchain has the potential to change the economics 
of how we manufacture different um, securities as, as we know them, whether it's a deposit or it is some other structured product and, and DeFi is one experimentation, whether it works or not, we will see. But that is what it is allowing us uh, to do. And, and I see a lot of uh, potential uh, there. That is quite insightful. So let me just repeat what you just said. Blockchain has the potential to change the economics of how we manufacture securities. 100%. So once that, so though obviously we, we've seen some of that in limited forms. What's the tipping point when that happens and how, how will that change how uh, financial advisors build portfolios? How will that change how investors see retirement when, when blockchain has, has changed how we manufacture securities? Well, blockchain, when it's changed how we manufacture uh, securities, I mean, it's a lot of the wrappers that we know today. Uh, you know, we have mutual funds, we have ETFs, we construct indices and, and, and you know, all these. Uh, I come from the structured products industry. There's an infinite uh, amount of, of variations. I'll call them wrappers. That there are contracts, right? And then, you know, a certain template, if you want, gains traction for good reasons, right? Sometimes it's, it's tax reasons, sometimes it's uh, market efficiency reasons and so on. Um, and here we're talking about a, an, a much more uh, automated, an easy and transparent way of manufacturing these contracts instead of them being so complex, so opaque and so um, expensive and very difficult to, to have a, a, a primary and a secondary market. This is really what this is all about. So tokenization that everybody talks about is, is really about that. And, and we can unlock value that could not be unlocked uh, before. So we, 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 we will have a lot of examples going forward. I mean, real estate is the easiest one uh, to, to understand, but there's much more out there um, in, in the art world, um, in you know, all these um, non-fungible tokens that NFTs. are represented. Yes, the NFTs uh, values that um, um, you know, the financial markets, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, and I'm also seeing some very interesting projects coming out in the um, uh, impact space around uh, environment as we get more data and better metrics, uh, it is, it is uh, very possible to do these things. So, so Effie, you know, we, we've talked and talked and I wasn't watching the time and now we're, we're just about out of time. And I had a whole bunch of questions I wanted to ask you, I apologize, uh, but all, all very interesting, uh, very important. I'm so happy you were able to share these insights 
with our audience. Um, and I'll, I look for, I, I really want to get you back on the program because we have so much more to talk about, but I know you have a hard stop in like a minute. So I'm going to say goodbye. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Effie Pilarinu, uh, uh, for being on the Wealth Management, uh, Wealth Tech Today podcast and look forward to speaking to you again really soon. Thank you so much, Greg, for having me. It was a great pleasure. Hey, it's Craig again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. A couple of my takeaways. Uh, love talking about blockchain, crypto markets with uh, industry thought leaders like Effie. And she did not disappoint. Some great opinions, great knowledge sharing here. Um, like when she was talking about how blockchain as an infrastructure will change capital markets and asset management. We're seeing that already. I'm interested in some of the, the firms she has highlighted in the Wealth Mosaic annual report. And you can get that report. There'll be a link in the notes, uh, the show notes for this podcast, uh, how we've hit $1 trillion in market cap for cryptocurrencies, which is going to encourage more institutional investors to get involved since now the market can handle larger orders. Uh, very uh, insightful comment from Effie about how cryptos are becoming like emerging markets, or at least advisors want to allocate to crypto like they do emerging markets. And finally, one of the benefits of uh, the uh, cryptocurrency explosion and the Bitcoin hype uh, is large-scale adoption of wallets, of digital wallets. Uh, the more people that have digital wallets, the more likely they are to be able to hold digital assets and be interested in digital assets, uh, non-fungible tokens, and other uh, securitized products. So at the end of this episode, episode 83, hope you enjoyed it. And remember, please head over to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and sign up for our newsletter. And I will talk to you all again next time.